Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Welcome back to the Corner of Truth and Courage. You're listening to Fortress of Faith. These last few days I've been talking to you about what I call the harbinger of 9-11. And basically we could boil it all down to this. God is trying to get our attention. There's been a number of calamities that have befallen our nation. And as George Mason had said back in the early days as we were forming our nation, as they were discussing politicians, our, you know, our national politicians discussing how God judges nations, because they wanted to make sure that America doesn't ever get to a point where they're in trouble with God. And George Mason concluded with this, and he said this, as nations cannot be rewarded or judged in the next world, so they must be in this, by an inevitable chain of causes and effects. Providence punishes national sins with national calamities. 9-11 was one of those calamities, one of those ways that God brings judgment upon a nation who refuses to turn back. It's not like we lost our way. We chose to turn away from God as a nation. Now, there's still a remnant here. God still has some faithful people who are getting out the gospel, trying to live righteousness and, and uphold righteousness in their community, but our numbers are falling and, and waning, and evil is growing. And God, whom he loves, he chases, chastens. And I believe that 9-11 was a harbinger. 2008, the economic calamities was a, a another uh, harbinger of, of what's to come. 2020, with it wasn't so much COVID, it was the way that we handled COVID, which shows us that we put so much harm to our nation economically and socially, the many deaths through suicides because of trying to abide, uh, you know, by these rules and laws and people losing their jobs that couldn't work, couldn't pay their bills and, and so on there. Constant, you know, pestilence and famine and, and you know, shortages and economic issues and, and an enemy attacking us. And that enemy is not finished. Uh, they've been set back on their heels, but they haven't turned from their goals. As we talked about yesterday, why they, uh, well, why they do what they do, because they're doing it because they think they're pleasing their God, Allah, and that they'll have great reward as a result of it. I want to focus on the solution today. I want to first take uh, us in the Bible to Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers four different preaching offices here that God has given for the church, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, many out there will say, and I used to because I didn't really understand this yet, but, you know, the the ministry of the apostle we have been teaching, well, that's over. That was in the first century and so on there. But then we can find, as we study our Bible closer, that there are other apostles. There are the apostles of Jesus Christ. 
that were commissioned, and they had to have been there at the baptism of John. We had all the requirements of to be one of those apostles there, and they were ordained by God to be an apostle, but then we find other apostles who were ordained by the church. And what is an apostle? Well, the actual word, that word apostle didn't just appear at that time. It's already been used, and it's kind of our better way of understanding an ambassador, someone who's given the authority to speak for another in another location, in another place. And like the early apostles, they were given authority by God to go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So they were called to go and start churches by Jesus Christ. And then those churches then called other apostles to go start more churches. An apostle is a missionary. In fact, the word missionary comes from the Latin word mito, which is apostle. You go find missionary in the New Testament, in the Bible. Go find the word. You won't find it except for apostle. That's what a missionary is, someone who's been authorized, ordained, given authority to go start another church. That is an apostle. Then he also gave some prophets. Go back to them. Evangelists. We know what evangelists bringing people to Christ, and we know what a pastor and a teacher is. That's, you know, that's grouped together. These are the shepherds who you know, feed the flock and look after the flock and nurture the flock, and the evangelists are bringing people to Christ and, and uh, travel in the ministry of doing evangelism. But what's a prophet? A prophet is someone who warns. Now, we get this idea that they're, you know, predicting future events and so forth. There In the Old Testament, God gave prophets a gift to foresee so that they could be verified by the people that, yes, this is a prophet of God. He's speaking for God. He's able to give um, knowledge, prophetic knowledge, that no one has, and it came to pass, and now we know, yeah, this is a guy who got this from God. But in the New Testament, well, even in the Old Testament, largely the ministry of a prophet, as it is for the New Testament, is that they warn. They see error, and they speak out against it. And largely a great part of my ministry here at Fortress of Faith is taking on that role of a prophet, seeing error and warning, and calling people back to doing what's right. And these are the people you want to line up for a revival, because you're not really going to get revival from someone who's, you know, got the gift of evangelism. When, when revival occurs in a church, it comes through the doorway of repentance because someone preached repentance to that church and the people got right with God and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then there's a natural process when God's people start doing what they should be doing. Uh, people get saved. And largely, there's a lot of unsaved people already in the church who need to be uh, they're not backslidden. They're just not saved yet. They haven't, uh, they haven't backslid. They haven't slipped forward yet. A revival, when revival breaks out, you usually see a lot of salvations, yes. But the main thing that happens before then is people repenting and turning back to God. I believe that I've been looking at revival wrong for so many years, and I believe many people do are still looking at it the way I used to look at it. I used to have this idea, this notion in my mind that we're the ones in a waiting room waiting on God. And in the fullness of time, when God is ready, when he chooses to uh, be gracious and uh, to pour out his spirit, he'll find a place that 
you know, for some reason the, you know, the planets are aligned or whatever it is that it's in God's heart and timetable and the fullness of time. He opens the window of heaven, pours out the Holy Spirit, a mighty awakening occurs and a revival occurs in that area. And as long as people are waiting for it, God will give it. I used to think that is the picture of revival. I don't see it that way anymore. I believe that it's uh, that it's God who's in the waiting room, not us. God's waiting on us to do some things that he told us to do. And when we do them, then he gets to perform revival. I don't have the time to break this out, but this roadmap that God has given has been used in the past, and every time it's used, and God brings revival to uh, people that that started following and they probably didn't even realize they were doing it they didn't realize they were following the pattern i talk often about the revival on lewis island with duncan campbell what a moving of god and they followed the roadmap of second chronicles seven fourteen. if my people which are called by my name and there's four things for them to do humble themselves pray seek his face turn from their wicked ways then Will I hear from heaven? You see, there's three things God gets to do. But it all starts with the if. If my people do four things, then God gets to do his three things. We'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin. And this next part is also exciting. He'll heal our land. Now, there are those out there who want to say that, well, that doesn't belong to us. Yes, truly, this passage was written to the Jews. We know that. That would be the proper, rightful interpretation. But the application is still valid for us today because uh, God didn't just give us that record just for the Jews to have the history. But notice, too, how it reads, if my people. He didn't say just if, if the nation of Israel... Yes, it was written towards Israel, but he didn't uh, exclude everyone else by saying, Israel, if you'll humble yourself and pray and seek my... No, he did If my people, which are called by my name. The application is open for all people who are, who named themselves after Christ, called by his name. And if you humble yourself, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. The doorway to revival... We want it. We say we want it. We pray for it. We desire it. We long for it. And oh, how we need it. Without revival, our nation is lost. Without revival, we're going to go to be one of the most wicked nations in history. And largely, it will be on our watch. The only way we can get to revival is through the doorway of repentance. You can't get to revival without repenting. Repentance is necessary. I like what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said on this. In order to get that silken thread of revival into the crusty, hardened heart of man, to push this, the thread of revival into the heart of man, there must be something to pierce that way, to pierce through that hardness. And it must have a needle in order to pull the thread of revival into the heart. And what's that needle? That needle is repentance. Repentance makes the way, 
clears the way for the thread of revival to be pulled into the heart of man. So it's not us that's in the waiting room. God is. He's given us four things to do. Now, it sounds easy, but it's not. Pray to humble yourself. Boy, that's <laughs> that's not going to be an easy one, especially if you, you live in the United States. Man, you, you have pride uh, dripping from you. We're proud people. We're so proud that we think we don't need God. We think we got here without God. And our arrogance is so nauseating. And, that, and, and, and our pride is going to keep us from God working. Why? Because we refuse to humble ourselves, to be broken. How do you get humble? You get broken. To be broken and spilled out. Not caring who gets the credit. Um, I tell you, if you want to know about revival, you need to start reading Leonard Ravenhill. Listening to some of his sermons. Often when I'm cutting grass or doing something, uh, maybe traveling in the car, I'll turn on sermons and stuff, and and I, I I often turn to Leonard Ravenhill. I've heard this one message he preached a number of times, but I heard something I never heard before from him. It's right there. He, he, he said it many times there in that message, but I never heard it. He said this, the number one reason why we don't have revival is because we are content to live without it. Think about that. The number one reason why we don't have revival is because we're content to live without it. Oh, God, forgive us. We're the ones who are putting God in the waiting room because we're content to live without revival. May we repent and turn to God for his mighty work in our nation. We're going to have to stop here, but join us again tomorrow at the corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.